Bonjour and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the marketing podcast for marketers, founders, and tech people who are just sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. In today's episode, you'll learn how to stop feeling like a fraud as a marketer or someone involved in marketing. It turns out that 70% of us suffer from it, and I am one of them. My guest today has 13 years of experience in all things digital marketing. She's a full-time growth marketing consultant and founder of Flojo.co and the Full Stack Society. She worked on over 500 websites. She managed multi-million dollar budgets. Uh, she worked at various startups, including GeoSign, Achievers, and Shopify as the head of conversion rate optimization. And she holds an MBA as well with a focus in project management and e-commerce from Norwich University. So as you can guess, my guest knows a thing or two about marketing and imposter syndrome, which is a topic of our talk today. So Tiffany, welcome aboard. Thank you. Happy to be here. So let's jump in straight away into a topic that I think is something that we don't talk about that much because it relates to feelings, right? And feelings are difficult to share amongst marketers because we all want to seem great and productive and getting shit done. So can you describe or define rather what is imposter syndrome or this feeling to like to feel like a fraud? What is it exactly? For sure. So I will add this disclaimer. We're about to talk about <laughs> feelings and real talks and things are going to get heavy. So the feeling of imposter syndrome and that is just plainly the feeling of feeling like a fraud at work, at home, with your family, with your friends. And even though we feel like a fraud and feel like, you know, everyone's going to find us out in our workplace and kind of you imagine this this moment in your life when everyone's just going to stop a, a meeting, look at you and say, like, oh, my God, like, how are you even here? Like, get out. We have this like weird idea that that's going to happen to us. But it's a little bit deeper than that, too. When I did a talk in Learn Inbound, I actually listed a bunch of sentences that people with imposter syndrome tend to say a lot. And it's not just, you know, uh, I'm a fraud. I shouldn't be here. It's things like the only reason I got where I got was because of luck. I was in the right place at the right time. And that for me is something I've always said, like, oh, thanks to this other person who believed in me, I got to where I was not like forget the 80 hours a week that I was working to get there. So imposter syndrome is encompasses all of that, all of that feelings that where that we're just muddling our brains with when we're trying to get the job done at work, at home, with our families and friends. What other sentences do people with imposter syndrome tend to tend to think or tend to say? It's they're going to find me out. I'm not, I'm just not good enough. Like, I think that's the basic one. I think that's the one that we say in a million different ways. I'm not good enough. Everyone thinks I'm blank. That's, it's never a positive thing. It's never, everyone thinks I'm awesome. It's everyone thinks I'm an idiot. Everyone thinks I'm a dummy. No one believes. I literally go through these like a million times a day <laughs> and people write me a million times a day being like, Oh my God, that's me. Probably with our friends. It's I'm such a horrible friend. They're going to realize it. They're going to tell me I'm a bad friend. For parents, I'm the worst mother and father ever. My kids are going to turn around and like be awful and everyone's going to find me out or people are talking bad about me. That's the other thing, too. We think we think we're the center of attention and we're the lead star of every movie. So everyone must be out there thinking that, you know, we're horrible. So it's just it's all that negative thinking that encompasses not just marketers and devs and techs. It's, it's everywhere. But what I've found in marketing 
is that it's definitely hitting everyone. And I think it has something to do with the fact that everyone thinks that we're kind of shit and everyone thinks that we're trying to like we're snake oil salesmen and, and we're just trying to sell and we have to keep up a certain persona uh when we're marketing yeah. to fight that right and so what, what we do is we put on this persona and we tell other people how great we are and how we're great at selling and we're sitting in those interviews and saying i'm the best at this and then we walk away from that interview going like oh my god like if i get that job i'm literally not going to know what i'm supposed to do on day one <laughs> you know like you've already like ramped yourself up and told them how great you are you're like oh dear like if i do get this job like I'm screwed. <laughs> yeah, I think another reason why it's happening, especially for us in marketing, is the fact, as you said, marketers are overly sharing stuff, right? So they are like used to social media, used to having a website and having all of the stuff. So they know how to sell themselves to the outside world. And I think when you compare yourself to other people, then in your world, in the marketing world, you tend to see all of those successful people. Uh, you compare yourself, you're like, shit, I actually, I've actually done nothing compared to them. And I think that's also where the bias come from. It would be a nice, a funny subject to talk about if the consequences weren't that bad, right, in a sense. So I am in touch with a lot of listeners, a lot of marketers contacting me. And one of the top things that I hear very often is I have a lot of knowledge, yet I don't know how to translate that into action. And there is a lot of reasons for that. One of them is not knowing how to translate a strategy into tactics, tactics into like daily actions. But the other thing I think is, is happening a lot is they don't have the confidence to turn them Absolutely. into action. So they know what to do. They just don't know. They don't have the confidence. And I think it's coming mainly from what we're talking about today. So perhaps you can share about your experience because it seems like you suffer from it or you, from time to time you suffer from it. But perhaps also we can discuss how to solve it or how to find solutions for that so that you don't feel this way and therefore you can get shit done and make an impact and become a better marketer and become a better human. So before we go into the step-by-step -step, trying to, to give people action, can you share your experience like throughout the 13 years? Have you felt ever this way before? Oh, oh dear. Yes. To give you perspective, I started doing SEO when I was nine years old. So it, it was something I know, I know, like, bear with me. <laughs> Please don't, don't think that you're a fraud because you didn't have my life. But I started SEO when I was nine years old. I was, I fell in love with creating websites. I fell in love with how search engines work and how people can find you on these search engines. And I even created an affiliate site that made money at 11. But again, there was this confidence in it, right? As I was in school, as people were starting to tell me, you know, oh, I think you'd be better at this than that. Oh, you should probably stay with like within certain areas like English and maybe you should get a career in communications, stuff like that. It was always kind of stay away from this computer stuff. And I started to believe that even though I was doing these, I had never talked to anyone else who was doing what I did. So I didn't think it, it was a thing. And fast forward, I'm at, in university. I'm making choices based on that. I'm not going into engineering. I'm not going into tech. I'm going into pop culture <laughs> degree. Eee, I know I saw you cringe. And then I'm, I landed my first job and, and I was a secretary at a web development company, uh, just cause I wanted to be around, uh, web development, not because I could do it. And they were talking about a poker site one day and how to rank it. And I didn't know what ranking meant, but I knew that if I had to get it on the search engine. So I'm listening to them talk and I'm like, guys, like you're doing it all wrong. You have to do this and you have to do that. And literally the whole room stopped and looked at me and was like, oh, 
okay, why do you know search engine optimization? And I'm like, I, I don't know what that is. And they're like, it's SEO. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and then, so it all of a sudden it became this like, wow, like there's something out there that I'm good at, that I love doing, and I can actually do this as a career. So I was super excited and suddenly I'm back in the game. And so for the next few years, I, you know, I just started saying I had decided that I wanted to be the best digital marketer I could possibly be. So I did a couple of years in SEO. I did a couple of years in, in pay-per-click advertising. I did Facebook advertising starting the first day that it was there. I even wrote celebrity gossip and hacked Google News. Like it was just crazy jobs that I would have. And I can tell as I started getting better and better at my job, for some reason, instead of the ego getting big, it started to get smaller and smaller. And you become a little bit more humble and saying like, you know, I might know this thing, but there's all these people. I see them speak. I see them. I'm meeting them at tech conferences who seem to know so much more about something because they may have said one sentence that I went like, oh, I didn't know that. And instead of me just kind of stopping and and asking them more questions, I instead immediately put up my guard and said, Oh God, they can't know. I don't know that. So I'm just going to nod my head and, and go through with it and then feel like a moron and wish I, I knew more. So this started happening. And finally, one day I get my absolute dream job. You know, you, you have that big company that you have in your head. I got the knock on the door kind of asking me to be part of their company and I, and I did it. And, you know, we all take risks. And this job, I was not a fit for it. And I should have seen it within the first month or two, but it was just not the job for me. Uh, I was too big of a company, too much going on, too much chaos. And yet, instead of me saying to myself, this isn't a good fit, I went, I'm a disaster. I've worked so hard and this isn't the this isn't the career for me. And I, at this point, had done my MBA. I had created courses. I had done, I'm, I'm mentoring people and I'm going, oh my God, all these people are going to realize that I don't know what I'm doing. And I was having a lot, like this was month three out of like 10 at this company. So I went a long time just being like, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, you're a dummy, not wanting to talk to people, not wanting to engage with uh, other people. And it was really lonely. Meanwhile, other people outside are saying, oh my God, you're so smart. Like, uh, I wish I had your experience. And I'm going, no, you don't. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this, is, this is the worst. And then one day I was like literally awake for 48 hours and I was getting kind of crazy by that point. And I decided at like three in the morning, I'm just going to write that letter. You know, that letter that you should never, never, never write. That said, like, I am never walking into this company again. I'm done. This isn't for me. Keep everything. Keep the desk. I don't even want to go back and pick up my like pens and notebooks. Like it's, I'm never walking in there again. Woke up at like kind of slept for, you know, an hour, woke up and went, what did I just do? And had a panic attack. And then I started thinking, you know, what do I want to do? And for the first time, even though I love digital marketing so much and I work so hard in the 80 hours a week and all the courses, I said, like, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm quitting. And I was looking at things like, I'm going to be a dog walker. I'm going to start cutting hair. I'm going to, I'm just going to leave this complete <laughs> career and go do something so random. And it, when I hit that rock bottom, I literally had to get help to get out of it. Like I had met a meditation coach who I work with and kind of in between all this, I mean, I still stress myself out. I, I wish that was the rock bottom really that I had hit, but I had gotten myself so stressed out that I had my first seizure 
and I became epileptic as a result. I know it's crazy. As a result of 80 hours a week, telling yourself you're awful constantly and feeling like a fraud. And I don't usually say that because I don't want people to think like, oh, she had this like, you know, miraculous story and this is it because I was feeling this way before and I should have just taken action. And if you're feeling that way and you're listening, just take action now. <laughs> like You don't want something horrible to happen as a result, right? So that happens. I go to a meditation coach and me and her start working on kind of all these feelings and what was what was happening. And one of the big things that I noticed was, which I kind of talk about in the talks that I do, number one is get yourself off autopilot. All day long, we're walking around and we're just, we have the script running in our head and we're telling ourselves, you know what? Like I, I'm dumb, I'm ugly, I'm this, I'm that. I, you know, and it's just all this negativity. And she would ask me, like, would you ever tell your friend this? And I said, no. And she's like, well, I'm like, I wouldn't even tell like the person I hate the most. <laughs> like, I wouldn't even have the balls to be like, you know what? <laughs> Here are all the things that I think about you. Like, it, and I wouldn't even think those things. So that's where we had to start. And it was literally writing a list after following my brain for a week and figuring out kind of these things that I was saying. And it wasn't until really then that I said, like, wow, this is a problem. And when I started opening up to other people, I started realizing everyone is going through this and no one is talking about it. And we're all sitting here having these conversations and and it was the reason why when I started speaking and I had to kind of shift my focus was because here I was standing up on stage talking about the, you know, growth hacking tips and how I grew this company from here to here and being like, God, don't believe me. Like I did it, but it's not, it was like a moment out of like 80 hours a week for six years straight that I got this moment. And I don't want people to think that it was an overnight thing. And so I just had to shift the conversation and just, I decided that it's time for me to stand up on stage and say like, hey, how many of you guys feel like a fraud? And then I started noticing that, you know, again, that's 70%. People stood up who felt that way. People saw everyone else kind of standing up with them. And then I asked the, the speakers in the room to raise their hand so that others can see that every speaker is literally facing this. So while they're sitting there saying, I, I'll never be like this person, they're feeling it too. And it was just kind of eye opening. And I don't know about you, if if this kind of happens to you, I mean, you, you run a podcast, I, I was afraid to get off this podcast being like, Oh, my God, all these other guests, I'm gonna be a moron. <laughs> so. But first off, let me backtrack a bit. Thanks so much for sharing your story this way for being 100% vulnerable, because I think it's helping a lot of people listening right now, a lot of people nodding their heads and feeling that, yeah, it's the first time they're hearing something like this. So thanks for doing that. I did feel this way multiple times. Recently, I did, and I was... The reason why I couldn't go to see your talk at Learning Bound in Dublin, where I live, was because I was burning out to the point that I couldn't... I couldn't see the world marketing. I couldn't fucking stick it for two or three weeks. I was done with it. And so I couldn't, I wouldn't be in touch with it. So I, I took two weeks off. I went to the gym again, uh, started to train four times a week. I talked to a uh, psychologist online for a few weeks. So my thing was not necessarily imposter syndrome on its own, was the a very high anxiety because I was working too much and didn't take breaks during the day and, and for too long as well. And putting massive pressure on myself. And, but imposter syndrome was one of the source, 
one of the parallel things that happen at the same time, right? So this, this pressure that says, we're never going to fucking reach our goal. We're never going to do this. We, you know. And if I take a break, everyone else is going to go ahead of me and yeah. they're all going to forget I exist. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So there's absolutely, I feel like now with this podcast, it's a funny thing. I keep notes of every single email, tweets, LinkedIn message I receive of people saying, you know, this is a helpful podcast. And when I feel like shit, I go through those. So I have a note, you know, the note app on the Mac. I have eight notes full of images. Uh, one note can hold 100 images. Wow. Right. So I have 800 of those emails, tweets and stuff like this. And when I feel like shit, when I feel like, like quitting or anything, I read through them and it makes me feel much better. That may be one of the things that you can do to, to fight imposter syndrome. But before we talk through the step-by-step, step, I want to know, so when did that happen, this, this period of you getting in touch with the meditation teacher and starting to take steps to solve, to solve those? Three and a half years ago. And I still have that meditation coach and we're still working every week to do stuff and I still fall off the wagon. I think one of the things when I did speak at Learn Inbound. And I actually, I, I kind of do the same thing that you do. So there was 400 and something attendees. I've got, I got a hundred emails or DMs back right after saying, raising their hand and saying, this is me and telling me their stories. And doing that, especially since I was so scared to get up on stage and not just scared to get up on stage with obviously a bunch of strangers, but I was in front of my friends, but Joanna Weed, Talia Wolf, G Georgiana Lottie, like Claire Sullenthorpe. Like I was in front of all these people that I looked up to so much and speaking in front of them for the first time. And it was terrifying <laughs> to do that. Yeah. So it's funny because I mean, all the people you mentioned, I know them quite well as well. I interviewed them on the podcast and I know how they feel. They feel the exact same way than we do. And mm -hmm. like Claire Sullenthorpe is like very, very smart gal and she knows a shit ton about customer research and yet she was going to make you feel like she doesn't know anything you know it's just mm -hmm. like so it's it's funny you got a lot of us a lot of people connecting like a lot of marketers a lot of people speaking a lot of people listening to this podcast are in the same boat so why don't we try to find a solution to that mm -hmm. like and give steps uh, for people to to solve that by the way before i forget do send me if you're listening to this and you feel like a fraud if you feel like shit don't be afraid, send me an email or send Tiffany as well an email. Louis at Everyone Hates Marketers and your email is? Tiffany at flojo.co, F-L-O-W-J-O.co. So yeah, if you feel like shit, don't be afraid to reach out, which I think is one of the steps we should talk about. So really share your story. I will read every single email, reply to them, and I know Tiffany will do the same. So please do that. Anyway, let's go through this step-by-step because -step, mental health is important, right? And and even though we're going to provide step-by-step to help you, there's nothing that beats talking to a professional about this type of stuff, right? Yeah. That's probably the first thing, because that's what you did. That's what I did. Uh, there is a solution called uh, betterhelp.com, which is online mm -hmm. counseling, which is great because it means you don't have to move your ass. And they have people specializing in those type of areas like anxiety, depression, mental health at work and all of that. Anyway, having said all of that, yeah. what would be for you one of the key action to take straight away to kick the shit out of the imposter syndrome <laughs> feeling? Number one is just knowing what the problem is. So understanding where it's coming from. And that was that getting off autopilot. So that's following yourself around for a week, 
writing down. I had to put an alarm actually on my phone because my brain was so hyperactive that it was going so fast all the time. And I was missing the stuff that I was saying to myself that I put an alarm on my phone for like three times during the day, or I made sure if I was on my way to the washroom or on my way to lunch, I would like take a moment and write in my notes, kind of the different things I was saying. And it was all the thoughts, the negative thoughts that I was saying in my head. Because you don't know what the problem is and you, you won't know how to fix it until you start realize, realizing what you're saying to yourself. And that list, and I actually showed that list in Learn Inbound, which was like also a scary thing. Like the list is there. It's everything from I'm a moron to I don't have friends. I'm not, I don't know why people like me. I don't like my weight, my looks, everything. And when I saw that, I just went like, what? Like, what am I saying to myself? And so you take that list and then you start creating the opposite. So instead of saying, if you really look at that sentence, like that, I am not smart, you can look at it and go like, that was a moment in time, right? And, and you're like, I am smart. Like I, I am. And, and you can write a sentence that's probably a little bit nicer than that one, but like a sentence that you can say to yourself instead of that. And so I started doing that and I started writing kind of the opposite of everything that I was saying. And there was one that I talked about and learned inbound, which I, it's embarrassing to say, but I said, I look awful naked. Like it was just like that, that clear, like vulnerable statement of like, no, I'm embarrassed. And when I tried to say that I love my body and it's something that me and the meditation coach, she's like, you have to tell that to yourself all the time. And I looked at it and go, I can't write that. I'm, I, this doesn't, match with what I'm feeling. So I highlighted it. And even though it was something that I wanted to tell myself soon, and that was the first step I took was all the ones that I highlighted, I knew I had to work on. And so I ended up losing 45 pounds. I ended up, you know, hitting the gym like you did. I, I, I did a bunch of things just to kind of get to be able to tell myself that. So that's the first step. And the next step is really just trying to understand. And this is like, this was a really hard one for me. And this one probably took about six months. So the first one was like, Oh, like, first month out of the gate, I'm awesome. You kind of get a little bit of a high from it. The next step, and I, I'm sure that you felt this too, is to really understand who the villains are in your life. And to understand that there are certain people in your world, whether they're nice to you or, or not, that just get at you under your skin. And, and they're the ones that you're competing with. They're the ones that make you feel like they'll say something at work and you're like, why did you say that? Like now I'm going to be thinking of that for like ever. It could be your, your family. It could be certain things that, you know, your mother says to you, or you have like that uncle that, you know, says something to you. Like, it's just all these little things, right? So you need to understand who your villains are. And this is the hard part. It's, you're either going to take them out of your life or you're going to have the conversation. This is terrifying, but I can tell you that for every conversation I had, I got stronger and stronger and stronger because they became more aware of what they were saying. But also I became a different person because I was more confident after saying it. And on the flip side of that, I also started realizing when I was a villain and if I, I really paid attention to if I'm talking to someone, did they just flinch or, or a good example was when you're walking down the street, this is something that my cousin uh, used to say, when you're walking down the street and you're staring at someone, 
and they're kind of looking at you. You know, instantly, if, if you catch someone staring at you, you're not thinking like, oh, they must love me. You're thinking, oh, my God, I have something on my face. <laughs> There's something going on. And instead of taking those two seconds and not saying anything and letting the moment pass, just tell them what you're thinking. Like, I really like your shoes or like you look like someone I know or just not being a villain when you're when you're walking down, just being open to people. And I think like that authenticity you'll be known for. But also, it just creates more connections. So that's the first two. <laughs> so let me go back to the number one, because I think it's, it's I'm not going to forget what you said, because I had something follow up. What was the first one you mentioned? It was the coming up with a list of all the yes, things that you thanks. put yourself. Yeah. So as you said, a week should be enough to, to capture the thoughts that you have in your head. And uh, so the way you did it was just you took a sheet of paper and every, three times a, a, a day you reminded yourself, write down what you had thought about in the last few seconds minutes, or minutes because yeah. your, your brain goes very fast, like, like mine. Another thing I would recommend as well is to do morning pages. I used to do it. I'm not doing it anymore, but I will do it again. I need to. Is It's such a nice practice to write two pages full of three, three pages full of shit. Not necessarily shit, but things that you think right now and you just no filter and you just write down, you know, oh, I'm sick of this and I'm sick of this guy and fuck that and fuck this. And you start writing it down. So what happens is the first page is usually a lot of fuck. And for me in particular, a lot of fuck, <laughs> a lot of fuck oh, this shit. shit. Second page is a bit more thoughtful, a bit more the reasons behind the fucks. And the third one is the break of like the, the things you need to do, the ideas And your brain just gets rid of all the shit and then start getting into the, the layers that are interesting. And that works so well for so many people I, I told about and a lot of people told me about. So I think it connects a bit with what you said there. So I'd recommend that, uh, doing that. So the second thing you said, I also like to, to question whether, do you feel it's, it's important to identify the villains in your life when it comes to like the real life? Or do you also think, it's a very leading question, I know, but do you also think it's important to get rid of the villains in your online world, right? The people you follow on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and all of that. Oh, that's so dangerous. Like social media can, can be so great. And I've met so many amazing people from it, but it can also just kill your mind. I, I Instagram is a big one for me because I started realizing that I was following all these people just out of, because it was the good thing to do. They had followed me. I'm going to follow them too. And their lives were just how amazing they were. And it was these, these, you know, uh, these things that I didn't have. And after a while, I realized that I'm going down this, I'm scrolling down this newsfeed and I'm just feeling bad about myself now. Like, and here I am trying to just show face and, and be a nice person and, and keep them on, but th it wasn't adding any value to my life. So a lot of the things I did, I scrubbed a lot. And a lot of people ask me, like, you're not following a lot of people on Instagram, like on my private account. And it's because of that. It's just all I, I, I started putting art there. I started putting uh, like uh, pictures of like log cabins and <laughs> that those I started following those people. And like even certain meme ones I had to cut out because they were just too much and they were just too negative. And I just made my Instagram this like positive place where I can be inspired and feel good and look at some nice quotes and keep the friends that. I can watch every celebration that they have and want to love everything and want to talk to everyone. And it, if it got to that point where I didn't feel that way, I had to get rid of them. And I can add them back on later. But for now, I had to cut that out. And I think it's really important. 
Because those are the ones, the ones that are in your mind feel real. Everything that's going on in your mind is going to feel real. So they're going to be your villain no matter what. Yeah, you need to be as deliberate in the, the people you follow as with the people you don't, right? The people you don't follow. And that's something that I've been doing. So just to share my personal experience on this, I used to be on every social media possible, like uh, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. And now on my phone, I have none. I only, I don't even have emails. I have Reddit. That's the only thing I check, but it's the subreddits I follow are usually like just fun stuff. So it's just, I don't compare myself with anyone there. It's just fun shit. And then on my desktop computer, I have a blocker on my browser and I basically, I can't go on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn if I'm working. And even if I go on Facebook, I have this plugin that deletes the newsfeed. So even if you go on Facebook, there's nothing. Mm-hmm. And oh my God, that made such a big change in my life. And I don't want to compare myself with Seth Godin because that's not what I'm trying to do here in the next few seconds. But Seth Godin does that very well when it comes to picking his battles. And you can see he's not on fucking Twitter, or Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever. He has a website, he blogs every day, but that's how he's able to deliver such amazing work all the time because he, he closes himself and selects what he needs to listen to. And I mm-hmm. think that's part of... Uh, I'm not going to remember the name now. And it's not uh, just about productivity. Yeah, and it's not just about productivity. It's about just making sure your mind isn't being used up all day. Like Apple just came out with that screen time app that I absolutely love because it it literally stops me from using my phone after 7 o'clock. And I have to, and it was at first, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to add an hour. I'm going to add an hour here. But then you keep doing that and you're like, what am I doing just read a book, like we'll take a walk. And it started changing my patterns because even though I had removed social media from my phone as well, I started, I started finding things to do on it instead of connecting with people and having conversations. And the more you do that too, is the more you end up getting inside your head and starting to feel bad about yourself. Another thing that it reminds me of about imposter syndrome and the, the, the symptoms that you could have, as you I might have guessed, I'm French. Um, and so, yeah. uh, exactly. But this is the accent <laughs> thing is important. I, I do receive quite a lot of emails. I mean, not like 10 every day, but I do receive a few emails from French people who know I'm French and ask me, you know, how do you manage to, to have a, a podcast in English with your French accent and, and all of those kind of stuff. And I can hear in the background, this kind of fear of being mocked or not being understood properly. And I'm happy to to think that I never had this thought before until they started to talk to me about it and until I became conscious about the fact that, oh yeah, I have an accent. But if I had thought of that before I started the podcast, I probably would have never started it, right? Mm-hmm. Never. But I never asked this question. I never asked, do you think it's a good idea for a French person with a French accent to have a fucking podcast in English? And I never asked myself this question. I'm glad, but others do. And yeah. this is why it's so important to to talk about this stuff because we want people to do stuff, to create stuff, to create more stuff than they consume, right? That's the equation we need to, to mm-hmm. have for ourselves. And even for me, like one of the things when I speak, I try to be as simple in the clothing that I wear. And it's not, I mean, I dress up from time to time, not often, but it's wearing the sneakers, the jeans, a t-shirt and walking out on stage. And I do it very thoughtfully because I remember when I would speak at, and I mean, when I would like sit and watch conferences, I'd see these people that were dressed up and had like, you know, they looked great. And I would go, I could never be that person. But 
as I start speaking more, as I start hanging around with speakers more and I start looking and they're, they're dressed up nice and they have a certain confidence when they're out there. And then I end up watching the video and being like, Oh, why do you look like that? Like you look so sloppy. You should probably just, you know, forget your rule. But then I think I have to like remind myself that in the beginning, when I was sitting in that seat, all I wanted was someone that looked like me up on stage that, you know, was wearing the Adidas <laughs> shoes or Nike shoes, just like hanging out uh, in the sweatshirt or whatever. Um, and I always just say if Mark Zuckerberg can do it, so can I, but it's still like, even though it's a thought that I I wanted and something that I had decided early on, uh, I, I still get affected by it. And it still irks me sometimes. And, and I still feel not as good as everyone else because I don't look the same way. So it, it's it's weird how it gets to you because people think it's just like a work thing. But there's, I mean, we're so multifaceted. We're so, we're constantly thinking of everything else. It was like, why are you thinking of your body while you're trying to do SEO? I'm like, imagine trying to do SEO while having this, <laughs> like you can't focus. So like figure out that part so that you can get back to work. There is this, uh, blog post from Neil Patel, bear with me for this, uh, who talks about <laughs> how he spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on closing and why it's such a great investment. And you just debunk that because it's, yeah, it's complete bullshit. I think if you really want to empathize with people and in return, people to empathize with you and to feel some sort of a connection, I don't really, I completely agree with you. I feel this is, this is the right way to approach it. You want to be seen as someone like any other because that's the message we want to give. That's the message I try to give in this podcast is anyone can become the marketer and the person they want to be. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, it's just not just a few, a selected few. If you use the few marketing principles we talk about in this podcast, every episode, you will become a better marketer and a better human. And therefore this dream of being like Rand Fishkin or Seth Godin or all of those great marketers is not that uh, crazy anymore because they're just like you and me. So I'm glad you're talking about this. Uh, but yeah, it's the last time I'm going to talk about Neil Patel today, I promise. So you have another, you have another way to fight imposter syndrome and it's more about like visualizing stuff, right? Visualizing the future and where you want to be. So tell me more about this. Okay. So in order to start visualizing things, first, you need to decide what your legacy is going to be. And this was a big question that I got from my meditation coach just this year. So after a couple of years of doing this, she's like, you need to decide what your contribution to the world is going to be. And we have been creating goals, but this kind of got me. And she's like, in one sentence, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to make marketing open to everyone. Like I want to make marketing so diverse that it didn't matter if you went to university. It didn't matter what race you are, what sexuality you are, where you're from. Everyone can be part of marketing because we need all we're doing is selling products to people who need them. But we need to understand the person and you can't understand the person if there isn't someone like you sitting next to you to say, ah, no, that you don't do that. You don't say that. And we just become better people as a result. So once I had decided that that was my legacy and the legacy doesn't have to be work focused, it could be I'm going to be the best mom in the world. I'm going to be the best knitter in the world. I'm, I'm going to be the best athlete, whatever it is. It doesn't even need to be the best. It just needs to be whatever the thing that you want to be known for. And then it's about really visualizing that you're in it. And, and a good way to visualize uh, between that is to decide, I, I have this thing called the shine crew and it's people that I keep in my life that understand what my legacy is that are there to help bring me from step to, from A to Z. 
And uh, to give perspective, one of the first times I ever spoke at a conference, I was sitting at the speaker's dinner, which is like a big deal when you're when you because you get to be around all these people that you look up to. And I had like Joanna on one side. I had uh, Angie Schottmuller on another. I had I had all these people around me that I just like looked up to, Georgiana Lottie. And they're talking about the last case study and, and how they did this amazing thing. And I'm just feeling like I'm not even going to speak. Like I, I have not done anything great in the world. Not like these people. And finally, I look over at Joanna at one point because she, she saw that I was kind of quiet. And she's like, oh, so uh, like she was trying to get me part of the conversation. And I just said, like, I just have a question. And I was like her biggest fan. I had bought every ebook. I was like, this is not the thing you're supposed to say to your hero. But I was like, do you ever feel like like you're really bad at your job <laughs> like the first like, question you asked the first thing first sentence do you, do you ever feel like complete like fraud and she looked at me and went like absolutely every day and then all these people from the table started going like what are you guys talking about and we just ended up having this like group of people that we just we talked we had this whole amazing conversation and when we walked away from that i had said um to Joanna, there's this this theory called the shine theory by the girls that do the podcast, uh, call your girlfriends. And it was the only way that women were ever going to succeed is if we help each other out, if we're the ones that bring people into the room and, and help each other get different gigs. And so we decided at that point, okay, let's call the group. I had decided let's call the group shine crew. So we can remember, we can remind ourselves of that. And what's so funny about that is this year I was, we had international women's day and I wrote a story about how we got together and how we created our shine crew. And as I'm writing it, I'm telling, I'm saying it's Joanna that came up with that. And Joanna had to remind me like, no, you came up with the name of the group. You brought us together. And I forgot, like I literally, I didn't even remember it. It's that kind of idea of like, oh, they were so great. I, I couldn't possibly, but during the years, the last five years that we've been doing this, I mean, I could never have gotten where I did uh, and I, this is not like a fraud thing without someone pushing me and saying like, you're better than this. Like you need to do this. And so they knew my legacy. They knew how each of them were at different stages in their lives doing different things. And they, you're good at some of the things that they're not and you push each other. And then you have to visualize and you have to see yourself doing it. And, uh, one, I had actually a, it's like the worst homework I've ever been given by my life coach this week. Actually, I've been like stressing about it. And it was, we were talking about like, I'm, I'm single. So we're talking about being in romantic relationships. And she goes, I want you to write what it would be like to be in the per the perfect day with someone. And I literally sat there going like, I don't know, I, I don't want to do this. And I like actually slinked down in my chair right to the floor going like, no, let's do this tomorrow. And I spent a week writing that exactly what you did, that stream of consciousness writing. And what I found when I did that was somewhere along of me writing and, and she said, write what the perfect day is, but also write what you're thinking while you're writing. And it was like, so the perfect day I would wake up, God, I don't, I don't want to do this. This is awful. Like my insides hurt and I wake up and I'm next to someone. Okay. But knowing me, that probably won't happen. Like it was just all of that. So I got to read it, take out all the gross bits and then read it over and over again. And I could use that now as my visualization technique. I can, I can say that, okay, this was the perfect day. And even though it was so uncomfortable to write, there was good parts in there that I needed to remember. So, uh, and, and just listening to things that make you, that push you, 
uh, watching, like I, I show the Nike video, the new Nike ad that just came out about visualizing and being the best at what you do. It's just surrounding yourself with that kind of great stuff that, uh, that make you rethink. And also making sure you can say no to things that don't fit with your visualization because then you're just going to feel worse. You're going to feel like, oh, I, I, and like you, like you were, you had that burnout and it's because you're trying to do all these things at once and probably not all of them have to do with the contribution that you want to put into the world, but you feel like you have to do everything else as well as your legacy. So we, we have to learn how to say no and really stick to and, and look f- so far into the future and make those little steps every day to get there. It's not like me making marketing a more diverse place. It's like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll do that tomorrow, like before my morning coffee. It's like, no, that's a lifelong achievement. Um, but I'll read books for today. I'll read about different cultures. I'll read about different races. I'll read about the problems that people are facing and then slowly start working and volunteering and, and getting to the place where I need to get. So yeah, it's about having a, creating your legacy, finding your group of people that are going to help you through it and, and visualizing it. When I started my business three years ago, three years and a half ago, I printed an A4 piece of paper with a few pictures. One of them was like a typical house I'd like to have one day. Another one was a car, I think. Not a big car, just a decent car. A uh, picture of my wife, I mean, fiance at the time, picture of my brother or sister. And that was a way for me to, to remind myself, to visualize as well why I was working uh, so hard for, like why I created the business in the first place. And I also came across this resource. Actually, Seth Godin recommended the book, and I'm not going to remember the name. But anyway, they talk about, I will put that in the show notes, but they talk about writing a letter to yourself in one year. So basically, you take the position of you are in one year time, and you write it as if you've accomplished all the stuff you want. So you say, like, today is uh, the 21st of November, 2019, 20. Just no, in one year, no. whatever, <laughs> whatever, in one year, <laughs> yeah, this year, I have like published a book. I have done that. I've done that. And the, the way to view, then that really makes you like the clarity start to ha- happen. And as you said, it's easier to say no. It's easier to know who you shouldn't follow and who you should follow. It's easier to identify the right people to hang out with. Everything gets easier. And it's a bit like marketing when it comes to understanding your customers, exactly who they are. It gets easier then because you know exactly what to do marketing-wise, what you shouldn't do. Thanks so much for sharing all of that. I mean, I've told you before we started the interview, the official recording, don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Listeners love that. You went above and beyond that. And I really, really appreciate it personally. And I know that people listening right now uh, feel the same. So thanks for doing that. Before I let you go, I have a few questions I always ask uh, my guests. So switching gears to something a bit less personal, a bit more about marketing, what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years, 20 years, and 50 years? I think learning to put your guard down because the marketing that people are open to receiving and the marketing that people don't feel like is just gross (laughs) is authentic. It's the having honest conversations. It's speaking to your customers and showing the kind of problems that they're having, not like canned problems. It's really understanding kind of the, the things that they're facing, what before they're even aware of it really. And also 
by looking around in the room with you as a marketer and saying, is everyone being represented here? And if I'm trying to sell to a certain target person and that target person is not in the room, I need to bring them in, not only as someone that we interview, but also someone that should be on our side marketing as well. And I think that we forget that sometimes we say, because of our imposter syndrome, we say, no, I can handle this. Like I can, I'll figure it out. And there's no need, like we really should be asking for more help and, and, and we'll end up connecting with people a lot more and being better at our jobs as a result. Makes total sense. What are the top three resources you'd recommend listeners to come across? It could be a book, podcast, conference, anything. For sure. So I'm in the middle of a Joanna Weeb's Copy School. I'm doing 10x launches right now and I'm absolutely loving it. Another course that I took this year was Ben Angel's. He did like a Facebook advertising course that I took a lot from. I, I do a lot of these, but uh, I always get really excited when I, I see ones that I love. And on the imposter syndrome side, since we talked about it, anything by Brene Brown, I would start by uh, going to her uh, TED Talk and just kind of, <laughs> as I did, like watching it and like saying, oh yeah, that's me. Or for women specifically, The Confidence Code is uh, an amazing book. And the first book that kind of got me out of this feeling that I was feeling and realizing that other people felt it too. And so those are probably the three best ones. And if you're ever in Dublin, go to Learn Inbound because it's fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how many times we actually mentioned this conference now in the podcast, maybe five or six times already. So giving them good publicity, which is great. Yeah. Uh, it is probably one of the best marketing conference out there, but I know there is room for other type of conferences. So We'll talk about that later. Where can listeners connect with you, learn more from you, email you about their uh, imposter syndrome <laughs> stories? I talk a lot about imposter syndrome on my Instagram account, the Tiff De Silva, and uh, or you can follow Flojo uh, Co. So F L O W J O C O on Instagram. Uh, I'm also Bella Stone on Twitter and tiffany at flojo.co. And for all of you guys, I will be giving you a discount code, which uh, for 25% off of the growth hacking box, which is the box I'm creating, it'll be useful for a box that's coming out in two weeks called the couple's bucket list for people that want to just learn how to reconnect uh, with their significant others. And uh, there's a self-care one coming up soon too, to help with some of this imposter syndrome and how to what to do with ourselves to make ourselves feel better. So all of that you can get, um, I'll give you a discount code that you can get. Where can you go get it? That's on flojo.co. Okay. And to be clear, because we are recording this episode in advance, at the time you're listening to this, the two boxes already yes. live, right? Yes. Yes. So we'll send the discount code in the email and we'll put that in the show notes on everyonehatesmarketers.com. Uh, Tiffany, once again, thanks so much for being so open, transparent, vulnerable, and all of that. I know for sure that listeners enjoyed it, and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. That's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com, and this is the moment where I tell you to subscribe to our email list. So before you leave and go to another podcast or listen to another episode, I don't treat email list uh, the way people usually treat their email list. I really treat that as a one-to-one as -one conversation. So I'm going to send you very short and personal emails every two weeks, I would say. We, I'll inform you of guests in advance. I'll share with you 
my numbers and how many listens we get. And I'll also ask you for your feedback in terms of the questions we can ask future guests. And perhaps I can also uh, have you on the show uh, someday. So don't be afraid to subscribe. I'm not going to spam you. And you can always uns unsubscribe for sure if you wish. The second thing we need from you is your harsh and honest feedback. We know that this show is not perfect yet and we always... Uh, can improve so you can send us your email at feedback at everyonehatesmarketers.com good or bad please feel free to send me an email and the last thing I like uh, from you is that if you did like the episode please share it to your friends your colleagues or whoever might like it and also please review it on iTunes or another service that you might use to listen to your podcast because if you leave us a five-star review it means that more people would be likely to listen and we can spread the word quicker So thank you so much once again, and au revoir. And that's it for another episode of everyonehatesmarketers.com. Thank you so much for listening. I'm super, super grateful. I'd love for you to consider subscribing to my daily newsletter, Monday to Friday, called Stand the Fuck Out Daily. I send very short, hopefully interesting, surprising, shocking, entertaining content to help you stand the fuck out. It's at everyonehatesmarketers.com. You can subscribe for free and obviously unsubscribe whenever you want. I'm just going to read a couple of emails that I got recently as a reply. Juma said, your content attacks the mind primarily, which is such a good thing because most of us are skilled at what we do, but we don't have the courage to do it our way. Mark, who just subscribed a couple uh, days before, said, this is my first issue of your newsletter. Love it. Glad I subscribed. Brianna said, I just realized this morning that my email habit is now to one, skim through the list, two, select all unread industry email except yours, three, delete and don't think twice, four, quickly skim yours. Amy said, also loving the new content that's coming from you. It feels really lovely. Candle said, I like your writing a lot. It really resonates. There's so much bullshit out there. It's good to touch the authentic. And Chloe said, where is the I fucking love this email button? Brilliant. I hope you subscribe. You'll be joining more than 14,000 subscribers at this stage, which is crazy. It's the size of a small stadium. Anyway, thank you so much. See you on the other side.